Bose is the presenting partner of Beyond the Grid. That's because Bose QuietComfort 35.2 goes beyond what you would expect from a pair of headphones. Just flip the switch to experience the industry-leading active noise reduction feature and all distractions of the world around you fade away, allowing you to focus on what matters to you. Hello, I'm Romain Grosjean, and you're listening to Beyond the Grid. Hi everyone, Tom Clarkson here with another episode of Beyond the Grid, and I can promise you that this week's edition is a real eye-opener. You know, there's no doubt that Formula One drivers lead a largely glamorous life, but to say it's all a bed of roses would be far from the truth, and this week's guest knows that better than most. He gained, lost, and then regained his F1 career and felt the wrath of his fellow drivers. But he's also never given less than his maximum, scoring 10 fine podiums and hundreds of points over more than 130 Grand Prix. I'm talking, of course, about one of the elder statesmen of the current grid, Hass's Roman Grosjean. The son of a Geneva-based lawyer, Roman is a real thinker. And I know you'll be surprised by how candidly he talks about his life and the hurdles he's faced during his career. I really enjoyed our conversation, and I hope you do too. Welcome to Beyond the Grid, Roman. It's great to see you. Um, Now, there's one thing that's been puzzling me since the first time I met you in 2009, and that is this whole nationality thing. Because, what is it, Swiss father, French mother, you're carrying the, the, the French flag. How did mum win that battle? Well, it's actually a bit more complicated. Um, my mum was, was French and then she got married with my dad, uh, which was Swiss. And at the time, you could have only one nationality. So she became Swiss. So I was born in Switzerland, Swiss parents, I was Swiss. And eight years into my life, there were a change of, of regulation where my mum could actually get a nationality, French nationality back, as well as having the, the Swiss one. So my sister and myself, um, we both got French nationality as well as Swiss. So at that point, I had two, two passports. And then, and then I started racing. Uh, and, and I was karting, I started racing in France. We were living in Geneva, but it was very near the border. And the, the French championship was, was more known in karting and at higher levels. So we were you racing all over France at that time? Yeah, all over France at right. that time. Um, but just to make something different, we kept the Swiss flag on the, the cart. And that Were you the only the, Swiss guy in that championship? Kind of? Not only one, but one of the rare ones, yeah, yes. Yeah. Um, and then until actually I joined Renault Driver Development in 2000, end of 2005, I raced with one in, in single-seater, with one Swiss flag and one French flag on each side of the car. And when I was French champion of Formula Renault 2 liters, and I, I met the manager of the Renault Driver Development, and uh, they expressed their wish to have a French driver, not a Swiss driver. So from that point, they told me, well, we'd like you to be, to be French um, and not Swiss anymore. And I said, that's fine. I've got a French passport. If you ask me nowadays, right now, well, how I feel, I, I do feel a bit more like a Swiss man. Um, I'm always on time and time is very important. <laughs> and chocolate is, is my religion. Uh, but as, a, as an athlete, I feel, I feel more French uh, because I like to hear the Marseillaise. I like to wear the French flag. Um, Saying that was a tennis match and there's Roger playing one of the French tennis players. I'm, I'm in between two chairs. It's very difficult to to pick up my uh, my side, you know. And if I said to your sister, "What nationality are you?" she would say, "Um, oh, she." 
I don't, I, I don't know. That's amazing. So, because so I, I don't have the Swiss accent, so right. you probably say I'm French. <laughs> but that's fascinating. So you changed to the French nationality for commercial reasons to help your racing career. Yes, right. Wow. And uh, and that was the right choice, you know. After I had a, a big support from Total over my career, which uh, to who I, I owe a lot, and it's been up to date one of the partner would always remember. And I hope to wear the color again one day because it's been I was in the family and it meant a lot to me. Um, so yeah, and you know, in, in racing, French has got a bigger. Well, Switzerland has got some great drivers as well, but I just felt a bit more French for racing. So coming from Geneva, and, and there's a history of sport in your family, isn't there? Your grandfather was an Olympic skier. Yeah, right. He was an Olympic skier. He finished vice world champion in 1952 as king. So his, his father was doing bobsleigh. Oh, wow. Um, he's Swiss champion oh, 13 or 14 Were you not times. tempted to follow the... So yeah, I started skiing. I started skiing. And at one point, maybe I wasn't good enough, or, or maybe my, my dad made the story up. But we heard a bit of a, about the doping into skiing, and, and my dad just didn't want me to, to race anymore. Um, so the first race you ever did wasn't in a go kart. No, it was skiing. And on, then on the, planks. the second one was BMX. I okay, so, so what dad then says, we don't think skiing is the way to go so, because of doping. Yeah. And so then karting didn't come after that? No, no, it was BMX. I was riding bike all the time since I'm a kid. I'm always on a bike, always, always, always. And uh, there was a BMX track in Geneva and I was going every Wednesday, every Saturday. And then I started doing competition. Were you good? Uh, I don't know. I was crazy, so. <laughs> <laughs> but did you win stuff? Or? I can't remember, to be fair. I was, what were we talking about? I was eight years old, something like that. Yeah. I was enjoying it, you know. Yeah. Uh, and then my dad was always involved into racing because he always wanted to be a driver himself. Uh, he was always in love with Ferraris, um, didn't have the chance to go racing when he was younger. Uh, our parents didn't have the money. Um, but he was a lawyer of, um, of a Swiss team that was running lunches in, in rallies and European rallies. And, and I was in love with, with running, you know. Initially, he was, he was riding and it was all about the lunch. My dad had all the deltas from the mid 80s to 94, the last one. And that's my dream car, the Lancia Delta from 1994. Have you got one? No, I don't, but I will okay. one day. Yeah. Uh, and then I, I went to some of the rallies and, and one day brought me to Dijon, a track not far from Geneva. We used to have the Swiss Grand Prix in Dijon. Yeah, I know. Yeah. Um, and I saw that BMW M1 with the stripe, you know, the three colors, BMW colors going on the straight line. I thought, that's what I want to do. Pointed that car and uh, I went karting. And uh, I've actually, I found the video of my first ever time on a go-kart. It was South of France on holidays. And, uh, and the racing line was not crazy. It's as funny as it sounds. I, I saw the, I spun a few times, but the racing lines were not crazy and was doing the right. Maybe it comes from skiing because there's, there's some things, you know, it's the speed, it's the line, it's the sliding. The, but I was there. And then uh, my, my dad offered me a go-kart for Christmas. And uh, I think most of the kids start like that. I think Jensen yeah. Button started like that way and just went into karting. And after a few years, I asked, can I go racing? And, um, and just won look everything. at me. Yeah, what they said. First, you've got to work to school because I want you to get your final exam before uni. So if, in case things goes wrong, you, you've got that. And, um, and then when karting, I started quite late, 14 years old racing. Um, so I only did two and a half years of racing go-kart and then went to single-seater and then won every category for Formula One. 
I think you're right. I'm sure the racing line from skiing and the balance and the core strength you need from skiing helps you now, I'm sure. Yeah, but there, there is a lot of similitude, you know. So the rise was then meteoric, winning everything. And then I'll never forget Valencia 2009, European Grand Prix. In he comes, Roman Grosjean. What were you, 23, 24 at the time? 23 at the time. Yeah, 23. But I looked like 17. Yes, <laughs> <laughs> you don't look much older now, Dan. <laughs> and, then, and then alongside... You know, Fernando Alonso, when he was absolutely at the height of his powers. And I remember looking at the qualifying times and you were 0.3 slower than the double world champion. It was a dream start. It was a dream start. It was, it was great. And, you know, I, was, I had the call. You in the car from Valencia. Actually, I had the call a race. It was Nürburgring, Budapest, Valencia. So Nürburgring after the race got a call saying you in the from, car. From, in, from, that was from Pat Simons at the time. You're in the car in Budapest. Great. Next day, phones ring again. No, you're not in the car in Budapest. Oh, damn it. Uh, we give a last chance to Nils Nelson. And then after the race, so summer break, got the phone call. Uh, that one, you in the car. Seven Grand Prix to get used to Formula One before the next season starts. So it's just a learning seven Grand Prix that you're going to get. Um, turns out it wasn't quite the case. Uh, I think it was just the wrong time, wrong, wrong place, wrong time. You know, I was next to Fernando, which was amazing, and I learned a lot from him. Obviously, he was very fast. Uh, but, um, but yeah, uh, with all the Crashgate story, I was part of the furniture that needed a, a change. I was, I was part of the Flavio Barreto management. And uh, even though I owe a lot to Flavio putting me in, in Formula One in the first place, then I think it cost me my first career in Formula One. In hindsight, were you ready? No. Why weren't you ready? Where were you lacking? A lot of things. I think, uh, you know, Formula One is not about driving, or only about driving the car. Driving fast is one thing, but then it's being on the outside, being aware of what's going on, being aware of the, the games and, and, and the media. And I'm, I'm a very shy person. You know, I can go on stage in front of fans, a lot of fans wearing my Haas kit or my Lotus kit, and I'm feeling confident, feeling fine. If you see me, Somewhere else, when I'm, I'm just wearing normal clothes, you know, I'm very shy. I never cross the line. I stay in the queue, and I just I don't like attention. So I came to F1, and I was shy. So people thought I was arrogant, but it was just I was just not saying hello or, or you know, looking at people just not to disturb anything, uh, which no one told me at the time. You know, be careful. That's what you. That's the that's the reputation you're having. Be 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 aware of that. Be aware of the sponsor. Be aware of what we're saying and how you're acting and. And you are you are an employee of a big brand, which is Renault, and uh, and yeah. So you know, I no one ever told me what to do, what not to do, and what was doing right, what was doing wrong, and uh, and that's why I wasn't ready. You know, I think driving wise, you're never ready to jump in a Formula One car. It's a big step from everything you've done before. You get used to it quite quickly because you're talented, because that's what you do, because that's what you feel like. But if, if no one tells you how to behave, what to look for, what to look after, or, or to what to make in the paddock or, you know, into your interviews and so on. And I'm not saying I do it right all the time. You know, I had those radio messages last year, a couple of years ago. And I just thought, okay, that's it. I don't want any of that anymore. I need to learn from that. I need to, because people came and said, look, it's not good for your reputation. That's not you, who you are. And uh, I thought, right, that's, you know, that's taking out of context. It, it hurts me, but... You have to play a good hand, don't you? Yes, it's you do. It's not just what you're doing in the No, you need, and, and, you know, I sometimes we're saying, oh, it's missing character in Formula One, missing personalities. 
sometimes you can't express as much as you would like because it makes waves and waves are not good. But Roman, what you did show, and, and I'd love you to expand on this, is so, so end of 2-9, Flavio's out of the picture anyway, isn't he? Because he gets moved aside um, at Renault and you lose your drive. That must have been a dark period for you. It was tough. It was very late as well. So I had Eric Boulier was then in charge of, of Renault or Lotus, I can't remember the name of the team at the time. And uh, I was in contact with Eric and they were telling me, well, if we don't find anyone, you're, you're the obvious choice because you've got experience in the team and so on. Um, and then on the 31st of January 2010, I got a phone call from Eric saying, we've signed Petrov, so you're out. And I was living in, in Geneva at the time and my girlfriend was living in Paris and I remember taking a backpack with my stuff, jump on a train to Paris and I never came back to Geneva until 2015. Um, so I never turned back. I, I left and, uh, and I went to Paris and then um, I thought that's it. I'm not racing anymore. I'm going to become a cook because I love cooking. That's one of my passion, you know, for cookbook and so on. And so I went to do some open door from cooking school and I was explained I was too old. I needed uh, preparation here for two years. And then I was like, yeah, but I don't need a preparation here. It was learning English. I was like, I'm quite fluent in English. It's learning about luxury. I was like, I've been a Formula One driver, so I've been five stars at quite a bit. Um, but they said no. So yeah, I was a bit disappointed with that. And then I had a phone call from that Swiss team, Matek, uh, doing the Ford in the GT1 World Championship with the Ford. And, um, and they called me and we met and I said, yeah, I want to go back to racing. I miss it too much, you know, GTs. I look at Tom Christensen, he never made it to Formula 1, he's had amazing careers in endurance. So I thought, you know, I'm gonna try something different. So I did GT1. And then I came to Hockenheim for the GP2 with Dams. They were lost with the GP2 team. They didn't know if the car was fast or the drivers were slow or whatever. So they put Jérôme Domozzi on the side and they give me the seat for the weekend and the weekend went very well. And then on Sunday, I had a very good conversation with Jean-Paul Drio, he's the owner of the team. And he took me in his office and he said, look, if you don't have anything for 2011, you've got to sit here. I pay for everything, you've got to sit here. And he kept his word. He put me in a car in 2011, paid for everything. And uh, the only demand was that we were bringing back down to the top and trying to win. And we won the Asia Championship and we won the series. And I'm very proud of that time because the team was struggling and then because of the experience I had, the confidence, I just managed to bring everyone back to the top. But I'm even more proud that they kept winning after that. You know, for a few more years with Davide Valzecchi, Palmer, uh, they kept winning the title. You think um, you laid the foundations? Yes, and yeah. seeing, seeing, even nowadays, seeing the team dance performing means a lot to me. What an emotional 12 months. <laughs> so your initial reaction when you get the call from Eric Boulier is, I don't want anything to do with this game anymore. I'm going to become a chef. Yep. That's Were the you with Marion one. at this time? Yes, I was with Marion. Yeah. So you went to live with her in Paris? Yeah. Um, I bet you there's a great story about how you two got together because, of course, some listeners may not know that she used to work in Formula One for, is it TF1, the, TF1. the French TV channel? But we actually get, a, get together before she worked in F1. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah. I, thought, so, I, could imagine, yeah. I was imagining some interview that went really quite well. It, well, it's, uh, <laughs> it's, it's a long story. The first time I saw her was 2005 when I was French champion. Though. I joined Honor and she was a TV presenter at the time for, well, she's still for Automoto, the TV show. And I saw, in, uh, I saw on TV, but then I saw in the room and I was uh, look at her. And then the next year, 2006, I was part of the French Federation drivers. So I sat on the table 
at the, the same dinner for the prize giving. I didn't have a prize at the time, but I was just sitting at the table. And, um, and then I saw again later that, yeah, we did a, a go-kart race, one journalist, one driver together and, and making, you know, going go-kart race and she was there. And then I didn't see her for two years. And, uh, and then she was sent to do an interview of myself. Was she friendly? It seems it's yeah, quite, yeah, it's yeah. quite a long courting. Yeah. So she was friendly, but courting. you know, nothing, non, nothing like a relationship whatsoever. Um, and then 2008, after Monaco, I was a bit hangover. Um, <laughs> and she didn't want to come to do that interview. So I was, I, was, um, I was supporting the Renault Twingo RS. So everyone buying a Renault Twingo RS for one year or more at a, at a driving lesson. I was the ambassador of that program, um, so I was there. And I remember the day went well and, and we had fun and uh, decided to flew back to Paris in the evening. And then it took me another six months to convince her that I was the right choice. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but no, it's been, wow, uh, it would be culture. almost yeah. 10 years at the end of the year that yeah. we together, three yeah. kids and happily married. Yeah. So what an amazing period of your life you've experienced pretty much every emotion going, haven't you really, at that period. But then, as you say, you and Drio go and get the business done in, in 2011. And then it's back to Enstone, isn't it? Just talk us through how that Yeah, so out. back to this, the team that fired me. So, you know, it wasn't easy. A bit awkward. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> well, the, the, for Formula One team to tell the bosses that the driver is not good enough and, and it needs to be fired, um, which I believe was the case in 2009. The car was good, but the driver weren't good. Uh, or one driver wasn't good, um, even though I wasn't far of Fernando. To tell, uh, well, that's the driver we want, uh, and the team asked to accept was, uh, was a big thing. So I came back to Enstone, and um, you know, I think it was, it was a different atmosphere. And uh, actually, it was, I was nicely welcomed and um, and then we go, uh, first race of the season, qualifying in Australia, and I'm third on the grid. So, uh, and then you go to Bahrain and get your first podium. Get, I mean, get a, Bahrain, a, get my first podium, and then almost won the Valencia Grand Prix, uh, where I started three years before, without a broken alternator. I think that was uh, first win in Formula One, finished second in Canada. So the first part of the season was, uh, was quite, quite good. You like having tough teammates, don't you? Because so your first experience in Formula One, Fernando Alonso, second experience of Formula One, Kimi, Kimi Raikkonen. I mean, compare and contrast for us. Who is the tougher? Um, you know, I think they're they're both great champions, very different characters. But if there's one thing they do the same is the the way they go into the weekend and the way they work. You know, from free practice on the first lap of free practice one, all is about Sunday afternoon. And when I was a rookie in Formula One, it was always about qualifying. It was Roll pace, roll pace. But then I would suffer in the race with tire degradation or whatsoever. Those guys, they they knew where, when it counted. So it was all about getting the race ready, making sure you've got all the tools, making sure the car is ready, making sure you've got the best strategy in mind and so on. So I've learned from both of them, I really learned that. And that's why I've applied to myself since then. Did they help you? No. <laughs> in a I word, mean, no. I mean... You, it's, it's you feel they held information back? No, they did not. So everything was open and I could ask all the questions I wanted, but it's, uh, it's tricky in Formula One, you know, it, racing, we can go so fast and, and your teammate is your first rival, you know. Uh, you, you don't want to be beaten by your teammate, so you won't help him in a way, but you, you, they weren't hiding anything. So 
I could see the data, I could see everything they were doing. That's why I'm saying that I learned the way they, they were just getting their race, you know, race sets from, from the first lap of FP1. So tell me how this first lap stuff came about in 2012, because it seemed you had, for the first time in your Formula 1 career, you were building some momentum, you were getting decent results, you were getting the respect of the paddock. And then you did have these first lap crashes that, that, of course, people talk about Spa and then missing Monza and stuff. Why do you think, in hindsight, that happened? Was it a case of just wanting it too much and trying to gain too much? Or was there, were you too nervous? Well, just talk us through it. No, I think I just wanted too much. And because I was so close to winning a race in Valencia, I actually thought, I, I mean, I always, I was coming from GP2 winning the championship, but almost won a race in Formula One, finished second in Canada. So I was just, I was pushing from the first corner just to make the, have the best position and, and go for the win. And I wanted, I wanted it so badly that it just, I lost, I lost the big, the, the big picture. And I was just focusing on getting that into turn one, making sure I get the positions and so on. Spa is Spa. I still believe I'm not 100% responsible for that incident and Lewis had maybe 50 centimeters to the right whatsoever I accepted the penalty and I think it helped me in my career after that and um, I mean there was Spa and there were to me there was Spa and there were um, Suzuka which to me is my biggest mistake with Mark Webber where he came Suzuka could be almost a bigger mistake than Spa it's a bigger one because Spa as I say it's a contact with Lewis that triggers everything you know it's not that I would break myself crashed in a car in front of me that flew over we crashed with Lewis I lost the rear wheel lost control of the car, that's it. You, I mean, the car on three wheel, the brake fluid goes out, you, you've lost the brake, that's it. And um, so if it had happened to two of us, not in turn one, nothing would have happened, you know, uh, but it happened that it was turn one. And, and so Suzuka, I just, it was just purely my fault, 100%. I just, I was so focused on not getting the Sauber to overtake me that I crashed into Mark, not even realizing he was there. And it was like, you know, what, what is wrong with me? What, you know, and Mark came and, and was about to punch me. He was pretty angry. He was very that. angry. Yeah. He broke the oldest hospitality. What, what did he say to you? Oh, well, he said, mate, we, we, we work hard from Friday morning to make sure we got good cargo in the race and you ruin it in turn one. And, you know, that conversation, I, I couldn't agree more with Mark. I said, yes, Mark, you're right. If, you know, if you want to punch me, punch me. You know, I, you're right. I've got nothing to say in my defense. So to me, that was my biggest mistake. Uh, in Formula One, really. Um, but after that, it really understood things. Um, was that the catalyst for you understanding things? That Suzuka. Well, shot? it was. It was really yes, because you know when you're in, in there, you're like, I don't understand why I did wrong. Why did I hit him? Why did I took the wrong decision? We're talking about two tenths of a second yeah. to take a decision, and from the outside, well, no, you go into the FIA room and uh, stewards, and they look every image frame by frame oh you see these and these no you don't see that you know it happens at 300 kph within one second so things go fast and you need to pick the right decision why you're picking the right one the wrong one at two tenths of a second it's just your mindset but sometimes it's hard to understand because you're like i don't understand it's just bad luck you know he was there i was there things happen i think 2012 the first lap not case i don't recall all the year there were not i mean there was spa there was suzuka to me there were big incidents the rest, I was sometime unlucky as well. I was wrong place, wrong time, and, and that happens in Formula One, you know. I don't think there were... Uh, if you take Monaco, I was forced on the grid at poor start. Michael can, can, tried to come from the left. Fernando cuts from the right. I can't disappear. 
you know, I, I mean. Do you feel that maybe the other drivers were overly hard with you, overly aggressive with you? Well, when you're in that spot where all the spots light on you and, and you know you can't make any move without risking a penalty, then of course they're, they're taking the advantage, uh, which is normal. And, yeah. and you would always do that. You know, If you're playing tennis and your opponent is struggling from the heat or he's, he's, he's lost his backhand, you're just going to have it. Or cycling up the hill and you see sure, the guy sure. struggling, sure. you just go for it. We're competitors. We want to win. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that was... Uh, I mean, that's, to me, that year, that's the... That's what a, was tougher for you? The coming back from being sacked by Renault in 2009 or just dealing with all the mess surrounding 2012? Um, dealing with the mess because, you know, dealing with media, criticizing you, fans, happens all the time, especially with the Twitter and, and so on. You see the um, amount of abuse you get on Twitter. And then when you meet people, they never say anything. They're always nice to you. But uh, having the drivers and, and Mark and, and calling me the first lap nut case and, and having the driver to criticize you when you're doing the same job, that really, that was, that was painful. What did they say in the driver's briefing at the next race after the Japanese Grand Prix? Were nothing. you singled out? Or? No, nothing. No one said anything? No, oh, that's mean. almost worse, isn't it? <laughs> no, I was quite happy actually. No, <laughs> no waves or come, you know, I was just dead. That's... Remember that really awkward silence? Where, where do I sit? Oh. <laughs> okay, well look. I mean, just to finish on this, only that it, it, as you said, you, it maybe helped you long term. Did you? Did anyone take you aside? Did anyone help you? Did anyone at the team or take you aside and say, "Look, we need to work on this and let's do it together"? Or did you seek help from anywhere? Or? So I think when you are into those difficult moments, the decision has to come from you. And I decided to go and see a sports like sports psychologist at the time. Um, that I still work with. So it's been six years and we're still together and still working, you know, together and working through my marriage, my first kid, my second kid, my third kids, talking through the first, the first part of 2018, which was really difficult. Um, talking about, you know, the success as well. When I led the Grand Prix in Japan in 2013, I was like, oh my God, I'm leading the Grand Prix. You know, I can't do any mistake. I can't go in the gravel. I've got fastest car behind. What do I do now? What do I do? And it was a brand new you know, situation. You can think, oh yeah, you're leading the Grand Prix is normal. Yeah, no, it's not. It's not normal to lead a Grand Prix for your first time, you know, like this. So uh, then that's things you work on and, and make sure that you, you, you act appropriately, you take so the right decision. So how did you find this person? I met her once in a corridor in Paris, uh, INSEP, which is an institute, National of Sport and Preparation, National Institute. And I met her in the corridor and, and the girl I was with said, oh, that's Maryam, she's been working with Teddy Rina, the judo, judoka, uh, for 10 years already. I said, hi, and we, we chatted like maybe two minutes and a half, maximum. And then she had to go and I go, I went. And whenever I had that spa thing, I said, that's the person I want to see. Just that two minutes and a half were enough to make me think that that was the person I needed. And, and she helped, obviously helped. And she helped, yep. And still helping. So what, just, is she on the end of the phone or just do you go and see her? Uh, well, when I was in Paris, it was easy. I was going and seeing her. I know it's a bit more complicated. So Skype, we use Skype quite a lot. And uh, yeah, and, and if not, I go to Paris and I meet her. And it's, uh, it's always better face to face. But Skype, when you, when you get to know the person quite well, Skype is, is good. You know, she needs to see your face or your, your reaction when she tries to yeah. push things and, you know, into your mind. And I remember one of the conversations was Korea. Was it Korea? Yeah, Korea 2013. I think it was Korea. 
And on the phone, she told me, okay, you're ready to be aggressive in lap one. I was like, are you, cra are you crazy? Do you want to cost my career? And she was like, uh, so I completely rejected that. She's like, oh, I think you're ready to go aggressive in, in lap one. I was like, no. And then we talked about it and I was aggressive in, in lap one and I got Louis um, on the word. I was What so made her say you're now ready? That I can't tell. That I don't know. It's just a conversation, the way you talk about things, the, your face expression and the way you act when she asks questions and so on. And she can tell from the, from the hello, how are you? She can tell if you're in a good mood, bad mood, if you're good place, right place, wrong place. It's unbelievable. I love it. But I, I cannot do it. But yeah. she knows from the beginning if there's something bothering you or not, even that you want to hide it. Yeah. How interesting. Sounds like she knows you almost as well as your wife. <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah, that's 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 her job. And, and then during the conversation is trying to understand. And, you know, this year it was like, I, I found her after... Silverstone, when we crashed with Kevin in turn one, I was like, you know, what the hell? I, I, I didn't break late, I didn't want to be aggressive, and, and we touched and we lost points for the team, and that's... And um, I was like, yeah, I don't know, maybe with Slippery was, was on track, and I didn't know. And then we started working through it and, and understood what can we do better, we can, can we take better decision? Maybe it's breaking two meters earlier, you know, the better decision. But... At the time, I didn't think I'd made the wrong wrong call, and obviously, same as Spa 2012, I don't think I made the wrong call initially, and then obviously it was the wrong call. But at the, at first, it didn't look like it was the wrong one. So it, it's really, you know, trying to find. Does she understand motor racing? No, she does. Yes. At first, she didn't, okay. and then she came to a race once, and uh, yeah, it was great to have her, yeah. you know, to see what's the environment like and, and how we work and so on. And uh, I've explained to her. I'm interested too that she helps you with stuff away from racing you talked about you know the kids yeah. and the... i mean having kids is not it's not easy you know in a I've sport i've got three just like you yeah we look as tired fun, as fun. each fun. other yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they're back to school so now it's just <laughs> when's the next grand prix yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, you know having kids uh, as well it's, it's a challenge and, and make sure that it doesn't it's it's a change in a man's life you know having yeah. kids change your life you're not yeah. doing things for you anymore you're doing things for your kids um, and uh, I, I want to make sure that they're proud of daddy, that they, they can watch TV and they're happy and there's nothing better than when I come back home and my sons are jumping my arms and say, daddy, you're the best in the world. And, uh, you know, even though I haven't won the race, it doesn't matter, that's, that's more than what it's I needed. Irreplaceable, isn't it? Um, but on the other hand, they wake you out for the middle of the night or they yeah. give you troubles yeah. and, and yeah. you know, education and stuff like that. So it's all... Life is, is full of challenge, you know. In, in Do you feel everything. that you've become a more rounded human being since the arrival, the birth of your children? Yeah, 100%. Yeah. 100%. Lewis told me that he said, our kids, they're a parachute. They're a parachute. They slow you down. Point one, I think it was point one per kid. You, are you three tenths slower than you were five years ago? <laughs> I don't know. I mean, I don't think so. I think they actually helps you to have a, a good life, a normal life. Uh, and that you do things for people that you care more than any, anyone in the world, you know. Um, they are they are your blood, and there's nothing more important in life than that. And Formula One stops tomorrow, yeah, I'm gonna be sad and I'm gonna miss it, but I still have my family and, and my kids, and I'll be working and, and doing things for them. Uh, when you don't have them and you have a, a very tough company, you come back home and you can eat that tough company for a couple of days, a few days. And when you've got kids, they help you to 
recenter and then you're like, yeah, I'm gonna go on the next one. I'm I'm gonna do good just because I want them to be proud. The thing about young children is they don't care if you've had a good day or a bad day. They just want daddy, don't they? Yeah, they do. Yeah, well, nice. saying that after <laughs> Barcelona, my oldest son Sasha got him on the phone. He gave me so much, <laughs> Did you really? t- such a tough time. <laughs> Man, that was Remind the hardest how, thing. How old Sasha? He's five years old. <laughs> oh my god. I was crying by the end. He's like, Daddy, what did you do? Why did you spin? Why did you crash? I told you not to do so. No, you shouldn't have done that. Oh my God, that was it. I was say? destroyed. What do you say? Just, uh, can I have I, mommy back, please? <laughs> yeah, it was actually, yeah. She, she just picked up the phone and said, Tasha, you can't you can talk like this to But it was the truth. Yeah. Kids doesn't have any filter. Yeah. And he was right at the time. Yeah. He was right, you know, but my gosh. Yeah. That was a tough one, uh, but on the yeah, other hand, sure. as I say, I came back from Austria, came back from a lot of places, spa, and it's just, Daddy, you're the best in the world, and they jump in your heart, and they're very happy, and they just want to play with you. Well, this year has been an amazing turnaround, actually, isn't it? You're talking about the, you know, the slow start, you talk about Silverstone, you talk about Spain, but I feel like you're on a roll now, and just, can you just talk about Haas a little bit? Um, how different the environment is there compared to Endstone and, and what you feel you bring to the party. I think us is a great racing team. And that's what I love. You know, it feels like we're just we're just going racing. And uh, we don't we don't really care about the rest. It's it's about coming here and, and just getting the car out on track and, and enjoying it. Uh, and that means a lot uh, for the drivers and, and it just makes our life beautiful because the owners are just like us, they want to go racing and that's what they care about. Um, what I bring to the team, I think a lot of experience when I joined, uh, you know, it was, it was a risk. Um, I think to me it looked like a calculated risk and Gunther, so far, I touch wood, has got everything right, everything he told me at the start has happened today. Um, and, and I like Jean, I like Gunther. And we sat down together, maybe the meeting was 30 minutes, 35 minutes, we shook hands, and that was it, the deal was done. What did you see in them that you weren't seeing at Renault? I mean, I had a really, really good time at Ono. Um, I spent 10 years of my life in Enstone, if you look, except that 2010, 11, where I wasn't there. And saying that I, was, I did some free practice in 2011. Mm-hmm. So uh, 10 years of my life, it's about time for me to, to see something else. And in Enstone, I always came like the, you know, the kid they've seen grow up. So you're always going to be the kids that grew up. But as a Haas, I came as an experienced driver that I was bringing to the team and, and I needed that. And as well, the, the, the team, I, I didn't know if Rono was going to buy the team or not. Um, and uh, and you weren't prepared to wait or Gene wouldn't no, let you wait? No, I, I could have. But I thought, you know what, if in Australia 2016, I go with Haas and I score points, I'm going to be first driver, score points. Uh, if I go with Renault with call points, it's going to be normal. And I thought, you've got the chance to do the first driver's call points, first driver's score top five, first driver to maybe be on the podium, first driver to, to best qualifying for the team and so on. And I thought, that's that's an amazing. And, and just the experience I get from building that team with the boys, uh, from where we started to where we are today, uh, fighting for a fourth place in the Constructor Championship on our third year, you know, the experience I get from that and... and it's incredible. I mean, I've had to work much harder than, than everywhere else. Um, Do you feel that you're more than just a driver? Yes. Uh, yes, you are. You are because it's, it's just, it's just, and it's just a smaller team. So, you, you know, it, it, the affection, Roman, the affection I 
that was so evident in, I think, Melbourne, when after the pit stop dramas and the way you comforted the guys who had had the problems and stuff. It was quite evident in a way that it, you're more than just a Yeah, and I need that. A I, uh, you know, it's, it's one of my strengths or weakness, whatever you see it, but I need, I need the team to be with me. And I need to feel that, that support from the team to feel good and to be able to deliver. And whenever they, they, you know, I've had time in my career where you felt the team is not so much supporting you, then I just, I just don't think I can deliver as much. And whenever I know they're all behind me and that it's like I've got an extra power in the car and an extra energy. And that's why I get a hass, I think, you know, even though, you know, I've had some tough time, but just the boys were like, yeah, we'll repair that thing and you're going to go again. And we trust you're going to do well. And, uh, and that's, you know, that's been incredible in the team. Has there ever been a moment at Haas where you feel that support has wavered a bit? No, no. Even in the Barcelona time? No, the they're season? always behind me and uh, that has been, that has been unbelievable. So, uh, you know, I think, as I say, I, I brought them a lot when I came and over the two first two years, I've had a, a rough time early this year which I somehow compared to Novak Djokovic and then I got another abuse on, on social media. I didn't compare myself to Novak Djokovic. I just say he's had a tough time and having a tough time. It happens in sportsman life. You know, you cannot always be at your best. And sometimes you go through he's, he's bounced back. He's bounced back amazing. And I was super, I was happy again when he won Wimbledon and now his US Open and he can do well. And he beat, uh, he beat Roger recently in the final uh, and the master. And, you know, it's it's, it's great to see, and that's why we love sport. Yeah. And I think the sport, there's nothing as boring as always the same guy winning. So look, what about the future? When, when are you going to know what you're up to? Hopefully rather sooner than later. Yes. <laughs> uh, you know, I don't like the silly season. Yeah. Uh, I think everyone doesn't like it. Uh, you, you, you just the musical chairs, has got, there's still quite a lot to play. Yeah, out, there's still a lot to play. And, and, you know, I think the recent races have, have shown that I'm, I'm back where I should be. Are you looking anywhere else? No, I think Haas is, is, is a really good option for me. Um, and as I say, I, I think we've got some unfinished business together uh, because I want to do more for the team. I, I would like, I would love to be the first Haas driver wearing the, on the podium, wearing the Haas collar on the podium. That has been one of the dreams since I, jo I joined the team. Uh, and you know, you never say never. Do you think the team is good enough? given the, the, the high standard really now in Formula One with Mercedes and Ferrari and Red Bull? No, I think there's, I think there is opportunities to do better because I, I don't like to say that, but there are two races in one race. Uh, we finished fourth in Austria, we're one lap down. We're faster than one of the Red Bull in quality and, and 300 slower than Max Verstappen in quality. And then we went in the race and Max Verstappen lapped us. Okay, it's a short track, but still, we forced and we were lapped. So there's not even a slight chance to fight for the podium, you know. So, yeah, I missed the 2012 time where it was once a Sauber, once a Lotus, yeah. once a, a Force India. It was amazing, wasn't it? It was, it was good turnaround, you know. It was, Red Bull was dominating, but still behind that there was, there was a turnover right now. You know that there's six cars that are just going to do their own race. They can start at the back of the grid, doesn't matter. After 10 laps, they're at the front and they just go for it. And there's the rest. So on the paper, you know, it's, it's just too complicated and... and I think we just need to be very proud and very happy with fighting with Renault, McLaren, Force India, Toro Rosso, Alfa Romeo and, and getting that fourth place in the Constructor Championship only in our third season in Formula 1. 
Yeah. Been an amazing result, wouldn't it? Yeah, I mean, Austria was our 50th Grand Prix. Yeah. Can you imagine? It's, it's yeah. nothing. Well, you've done 135 Grand Prix now. You're I quite have. an experienced guy. <laughs> you don't look a day older. <laughs> no, I, I still feel new because, you know, my career went up and down. And actually, yeah. to me, I came to Formula 1 when I was 27 in 2012. So You almost um, discount the two, two nines. Yeah, I mean, it was seven Grand Prix, but it's yeah. not part of, it didn't use any energy from me. So I came in 27 yeah. and I'm like, yeah, I think I can go up to 40 like Kimi. And I won't be fed up with Formula 1. I, I love it so much when there's a Sunday with no racing. I'm like, oh, what do we do at 3 p.m.? I kind of miss something. I just, I just, you know, I just love it. What do you it. get up to at home when it's a, a, there isn't a Grand Prix weekend and you're not changing nappies? What do you? What do you <laughs> I see a bit on social media of you, of you karting and yeah, do I, you still uh, ski. Are you allowed to ski? No, as well, I was crossing to ski over the winter. I did my first triathlon in the summer break. And How did it go? It went very well. The swimming was rubbish, but after that, <laughs> well, I'm just a bad swimmer. Oh, I didn't, <laughs> I didn't do much in? practice. It went Alpe d'Huez. So it was a it was a long distance one. Uh, really enjoyed that. A bit you longer have, than the Alpha Run run. Did, did the bike ride? Involved? Yeah, we went with the All last the 20, climb. The, the last climb turns. was the twenty one turns. Park the bike at the top and run. Twenty one k at the top. You did twenty one k. Yeah, yeah. I cycled those twenty one. Yeah, uh, we cycled one hundred twenty k. The last climb with three climbs, three three call, and the last climb was Alpe d'Huez. Parked the bike and went for a run. Got fit. I loved it. How Absolutely loved it. We, can we talk about finishing positions? Yeah, I finished 197th out of 1,000 starter, knowing that was 630 something after the swim. So I had a good comeback. Now, how are we going to improve this swimming? We need to do something. Yes, I need this. to get lesson. I think that's yeah, the first yeah, step. Sure. They say, actually, did you wear one of those suits? I did. Because they're quite restrictive, aren't they? Yeah, but the lake was uh, 17 degrees. It's an altitude lake, so it was quite cold. And actually, I missed the start by about two or three minutes. I was still coming down the ramp to go in the water when they, they, the bang was the, the you know. So you the last to go. So, yeah, the, I was a bad swimmer and I added myself like 200 meters of swim because I wasn't on the start line when it started. Well, at least you didn't, you know, they, I, I know those open water swimmers are saying that getting kicked by oh, other swimmers horrible. and stuff is quite horrible. Yeah, so, you know, I was, I was clear of all that. Yeah, and so on the outside. Okay. So, so over weekend off, you're out on the bike, you're running. Adam, you're... Well, yeah, mainly time with kids as well, and yeah. uh, I've Any got other a, a boat. I love I love wakeboarding, wake surfing oh, okay. uh, on right. the Geneva Lake. So I did Crazy quite a bit of that on, on, yeah. the, on the summer. It's just great to be on a boat out there. You know, you don't have your fun and you don't see time. You lose completely lose track of time. The yeah. kids are there, they love it. Yeah. Sending the ropes, they yeah. you know the captains. So they are our captains, aren't they? The children. You're right then. Cool. And then um, when you've stopped racing, I hope that it carries on, as you say, until you're 40, like Kimmy, and, 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 and good luck with everything. But you're a long time retired as a sportsman, aren't you? Um, do you think you'll be one of these guys who just says that was chapter one and go and do something completely different for the next chapter of your life? Or do you think you'll stay involved in racing? And I don't know. Yes, I do I don't know, I, you know, I, as I, as I say, I've got a family and I do everything for my kids. So I've got a few things around, alongside Formula One uh, going. Uh, probably one of the things I love to do is, um, is, is marketing and, and sponsoring into F1 sport in general. Um, finding money, finding yes, sponsors. Yes. That sounds like way too much hard work. <laughs> but I love You're it because, driver. you know, I, I have got, yeah, but I've got contacts to sponsor to a lot of people, to a lot of sportsmen. So 
active whenever you know I, I meet a sponsor. They, they're telling me, oh, we would like to go to MotoGP. I'm like, yeah, hold on, I'll just give a call and I can introduce you guys and, and then we can work out something. And uh, I like I like human relationship. Um, you know, your dad said to you, you've got to finish your education before, in case you know the racing doesn't work out. What did you study? What was your what's your area of academic expertise? Yeah, well, it was more about scientific. Oh, really? Yeah, I, I wanted to become an aerodynamic engineer if I was not making it to Formula One driver. So I was always going to be working on cars. No, in Formula One, I wanted to be in Formula One sports. It's all about sport all the time. So. Yeah, I wanted to do schools to to learn or to you know to design a car and learn the aerodynamic and then trying to make it to a top team. Wow! Imagine that if you retire from driving and then and then become an aerodynamicist, go and beat Adrian Newey's number two. <laughs> well, look, Roman, thank you so much for your time. It's been uh, it's been great to catch up. I, I feel like I've learned so much about you. It's been a, it's it's a wonderful story, and I hope the story continues for many years to come. So thank you very much. Thank you. Cheers. Well, I told you he was candid. I found his openness and honesty about his life as a professional racing driver absolutely fascinating. Thanks for your time, Roman, and best of luck for the rest of the season. Let's hope you can give your kids more moments to be proud of. That's it for now, but we've got another big name guest for you next week who I think you're going to really enjoy hearing from. A big thank you to all of you who've subscribed to the show and left us a nice message. And to make sure you don't miss out on an episode, why not do the same? We're on Apple Podcasts, Spotify and your favourite podcast app. And finally, if you want to get in touch, drop us a line using the hashtag F1BeyondTheGrid or send me a tweet at TomClarksonF1. We really love reading your comments. Beyond the Grid is produced by F1 in association with Audioboom. Until next time, keep it flat out.